Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. Welcome back to Account Trends, everybody. Your host here, Jason Stein, and with me as always, Mr. David Bergstein, CPA and CITP, Alphabet Soup. How are you today, sir? I'm doing fantastic today. Life is getting good here in Florida. We're running uh, over 90 degrees every day, so I got to get up super early to play pickleball in the morning. Well, that sounds fantastic. I would talk to you about pickleball as a sport, but I know you don't follow sports. I'm not a big sports guy. Do you do anything exciting besides the chickens? How about Mount Washington? Are you close to that? I don't know where Mount Washington is. I'm close to Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens is actually the cl- closer. Okay. So, well, in the next couple of weeks, I'd like you to report back on your hike up Mount Rainier to tell people what you do. Yes, sir. I will do that. So on today's episode, we interviewed Martin Bissett in the UK and talked about his perspective on this profession's transformation to advisory. And I hate using the word transformation because that feels big and scary. But um, David, you know, really, really powerful insights from Martin, don't you think? I, I think he had some real good insight. I'll agree with you, specifically around the fact that if you want to grow your accountancy business or your accountancy firm, you got to look at it as a business and not just a practice of doing accounting. I think you made that point about three or four times. If you want to grow your practice, think of it as a business. And how would he grow a business? And what he specifically said, it's not about doing compliance work on a regular basis. That's not growing your business. That's bringing in the revenue. What do you think? Well, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think the other thing that I loved about it was Martin got real with us, really real. Uh, and his his story about his dad, just uh, just absolutely heartbreaking. So I'm excited to share this episode with our listeners, and I hope everybody enjoys. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for the invite, guys. And we're going global today, folks. Martin is uh, coming to us live from the uh, the UK, and uh, we were talking about uh, his name. So, if you're if you're tell us again, Martin. If you're in the if if you're American, then it's Bissett. In the UK, it's Bissett, right? Other way around. Other, Other way, way around. around. Okay. So if it's the if it's the UK, it's Bissett. If it's the US, it's Bissett. And if you're a, a member of one of my speaking audiences who pays no attention, it's Malcolm Bishop. <laughs> Or if you hate this episode, it's Jason Stein, right? Right. <laughs> so, uh, Martin, you're you're the founder of the Bissett Group, and we'll just say it. I'll I'll just use the UK pronunciation. Tell us about your organization and tell uh, and 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 what what you are focused on. So, there's, there's a pre-COVID and a post-COVID part to this story. The uh, the Bissett Group was originally called the Upward Spiral Partnership. That was a consultancy name designed to suggest to the accountant, who is the, the client of mine, that working together creates a mutual upward spiral. Simple as that. Um, however, towards about six months before COVID, uh, I got a piece of advice which was pivotal for me. Um, 
which was don't own the horse, Martin, own the race course. And what they were referring to there is that whilst I remained a consultant, I was one of many. Whilst I was a speaker, I was one of many. And even whilst I was an author, I was one of many. But if I used my influence in order to influence others and have lots of pieces of the pie, so many different businesses uh, that served accountants, then that would give me much more influence with accountants because I would have a consulting solution, a software solution, a community solution, a data solution, and so on. And so, therefore, the company evolved and it became less about me and much more about the solutions on offer. And therefore, the name was no longer appropriate and it changed to the BISIC group, as in the BISIC group of businesses. Love it. That's awesome. And so you, you're on, you're like us, you're on a relentless pursuit to help people implement these important services and help clients in a much uh, more powerful way than this, this profession has been focused on, even, even across the pond there, right? It's, this is a global, a global thing, folks, that um, this profession has got to figure out how to implement services that are actually helping businesses grow and succeed, not just be compliant, stay out of jail. And you, so you have a you have this you have a family story, Martin, that I think is is worthy of sharing with our audience. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, certainly would. And you know, the, the more audiences I've spoken to, the more this is an everyman story rather than a me story. It looks like you know there's a few people who've been through this. So I am the son of a a man who was very successful in business, um, and uh, my father would, became essentially a victim of his own success, and his business grew and grew, and his financial literacy did not grow and grow with it. So as the business grew, he became increasingly unable to run it. And this was happening in the late 70s, early 80s, in a time when, from the accounting profession standpoint, not only were accountants not proactive in educating their, their clients as to how they could help them, but they were proactively banned from doing so by the regulations of the uh, governing bodies here in the United Kingdom, at least. So from a business owner's perspective, there's no help out there for a business owner who is now sort of struggling because things are growing out of control. And so what happened was, was that the, the business started to fail and then continued to fail and went on a downward spiral. And the, the impact, the real-life impact of the downward spiral is that obviously the business failed. But then, as a result of the business failing, the self-esteem failed because, you know, he was the business. And he took that very personally, as I think anybody would, and stopped believing in himself and stopped to think, well, what am I worth, you know? And because of that, his behavior changed, which meant that the marriage didn't work anymore either. And that led to the bottle. And that led to, let's say, his eventual exit from this planet. So in that period, uh, I grew up in that period. I was kind of about four, I don't know, about four years old when we start that story. And I'm about 20, no, I'm early and later, 30 odd years old when we finished that story. So it was a slow, slow but long progressive decline, uh, incrementally so, because each day was tougher than the last one once you failed. Now, in parallel to this, I also have the privilege of being a ambassador for a uh, financial literacy charity for young people. And I got invited to Westminster and the Houses of Parliament to hear a report from that charity to what we call over here a select committee. 
which is a House of House, House of Commons, House of Lords, uh, Select Committee on Financial Literacy. And the, the long and short of the report was, if you want someone to be financially literate in their 30s, you've got to start teaching them when they're nine. And there is no room for financial literacy teaching on the school curriculum at right. nine years old in the United Kingdom. So, you know, this sort of reinforced that this is an everyman story. You know, businesses fail so often. And the question becomes, how many of them could have been saved with proactive advice from an accountant? More specifically, therefore, how many marriages could have been saved? How many mortgages could have been saved? How many homes could have stayed together? You know, and the the real life impact is huge. So my story obviously motivates me. But I'm guessing there's people listening to this going, yep, me too. Yeah, what what a powerful story, Martin. And I, I, I just want to really drive home that, that, and this is why we wanted to have you on the show, because this is this is precisely when we, we talk about this stuff, that, this high altitude, right? We talk about it in service to growth and success and wonderfulness and helping businesses succeed. But, but underneath that, there's a layer of, of people's lives are at stake, right? Yep. People's livelihood and people's lives themselves are actually, you know, tied to financial literacy in, in this right. degree. And it's just, I don't think we talk about that enough on a regular basis. No, we're, we're a mixture of part oblivious, part scared of talking about it. Um, but the, the thing is that how would a business owner obtain financial literacy, if they've never run a forecast in their business, if they've never run a budget, if they've never handled a bank account, if no one's ever told them that 30% of everything they earn at least is the government's and not theirs, you know, if they don't know those simple principles, who's teaching them? Well, the most likely teacher is the one with the financial intimacy in the business. Who knows the numbers? Well, the accountant knows the numbers. You could make a case for the bookkeeper knowing the numbers. But in terms of authority, in terms of gravitas, in terms of heft, then generally the bookkeeper does not carry that kind of authority in a business. It's generally the, the accountant, the CPA that does. So is it going to be the financial advisor? No. Is it going to be the enrolled agent? No. Is it going to be the bank manager? No, if there is one. Uh, who's it going to be? Is it a management consultant? No, we don't trust the management consultant. So who on earth are we going to trust to tell us how to handle our money? The accountant. So the accountant's, the most noble iteration of a CPA qualification is to use that technical ability to transfer knowledge to a business owner so that they, first of all, keep the walls from the door, then they study the ship, then they thrive. And there is nobody in business, whether it's corporate America or whether it's UK PLC, there is nobody better placed to support a business owner in achieving their personal and professional aspirations than the accountants. They say that. I say that constantly. You you convinced me. I'm not going to retire. I'm going back and going to help more clients. Because I'm in total agreement that the real purpose of an accountant is to offer the advisory services. It's to help the client be more liquid, solvent, profitable, and attain whatever goal they want to attain in life. Because everything relates to financial. And you hit it on the head. Because accounting is a process, which is bookkeeping, recording, sorting, and summarizing events. The accounting or trust part comes down and helping them make the decisions to use the data that's out there. 100% in agreement with that. Absolutely. I've heard 
boards, boards of directors refer to their accountant as their comfort blanket. Because after a time, they acquire the knowledge. They know what to do, but they still want their valid- the validation from, the, from, the, from, from mom or dad, you know, to say, do this. That's the right thing to do. Well done. You've learned. Go ahead. Just that validation. And I know accountants who are retained to do nothing more than to sit in board meetings and go, uh-huh, or mm-mm. You know, that's their entire role. That's their entire role. So I think where this goes, guys, and obviously um, I'll see where you guys take it, but I think what it comes down to is this is not a new subject. This is not even an old subject. You know, when you uncover the ancient lost city of Pompeii in Italy, you also find some paraphernalia about how accountants should become advisors at some point. That's how far we go back with this. The issue becomes a distinction in the mind of the accountant as to who they are. They are either an accounting practitioner with an accounting practice, still practicing, I'm not going to do it yet, still practicing, okay? Or they are an accounting business. And I would suggest to the listeners, there is a distinction to be made in their own minds. Are you running an accounting practice or are you running an accounting business? Because they ain't the same thing. So I was just going to get into that. Like, unpack that some more, Martin. What, is, what does that mean exactly? Well, rather than me do it, I, as I say, I have an accounting community here in the UK, and I asked the question of them. I said, if you make, if being the, the uh, decider here, if you do make a distinction between an accounting practice and an accounting business, what are the key differences? And here's what the members of my community said. I'm quoting directly here, guys. I'm not paraphrasing or... And I think, here's what they've said. One of our members, who I'll name called Haider, says, it's a distinction I only considered shortly after joining this group. It shifted my mindset in a positive way. For me, the distinction is in the priorities of the owner. That's the owner of the the accounting firm, not the owner of the, the client, okay? Like, do you want to play accountants or do you want to maximize earning potential? So I'll give that one again. Do you want to play accountants? or you want to maximize earning potential. An accounting practice, says Hyder, will conform to conventional processes and prioritize perception of them as accountants. I am an accountant. Look at me. Professional qualification. Respect me. Give me validation. That sort of thing. An accounting business is willing to break the mold in pursuit of profit. Now, I have other comments to give you here, guys, but I'll break there. There's just one. I love One that. particular member's feedback on this particular topic. My question would be, who's profit? Right. So in that answer, they're saying their own. But, of course, us three would say mutual benefit. Right. By helping that you, you do good by doing right. So we help the client to prosper. When we help the client to prosper, the improvement created is, their, is the value that we have to them, the improvement we create, and we are then compensated commensurately for that improvement created within the business. 100% agree. If the client's happy and the client's successful, you'll end up with receiving higher compensation because you're rendering higher value services to help them. And that removes price sensitivity because we're no longer comparing commodity purchase with commodity purchase. 
that account or this account. It's all the same. I've got to be compliant by law. Who cares which one I pick? Now we're talking on a very different scale. Now we're saying this one will make me compliant by law. This one will get me closer to the beach house in Maui. So, so how do you teach accountants to make that change? They got all these accountants out there, hundreds of thousands, millions of them doing compliance work. How do you help them make that transition? Well, and let me build on that for a second first too, Martin, because you said you said it in a very interesting way or, or that, that, that comment from your community member around, you know, like sort of this being shameless about profit as it relates to the accounting business, right? And I think there's a bit of a stigma around that. Even accountants who, you know, this is all about financial literacy and having a, a healthy relationship with money, right? Yep. Still struggle with this mindset of, well, I don't want to price gouge my clients and they're not going to pay this much money. And, you know, I'm try- I am helping them. You know, I am giving them advice. I am doing the things that you're talking about, Martin. But why is it important to focus on that profit aspect? Because you can't, because profit is where money comes from. So if you don't make a, a profit, you are not able to create any discretionary time because you're always chasing a deadline. So if you're not able to create discretionary time, where's your time coming from to help the client? So it always strikes me as an interesting juxtaposition when we have a professional trying to cover their tracks and say, oh, I couldn't possibly, I'm not in the business of, of taking you know, money from my client, ripping them off. No, but you are prepared to work 80-hour weeks, whinge about your clients, whinge about how price-sensitive they are, and tell everybody how much you hate your job. Okay, now, why would I take advice from a guy who does that for a living? You know? So, going then back to David's question. David said, how do you teach accountants that? Well, the old way, David, was to go on stage around the world for many years of my life and for everything I said to be forgotten before I'd finished. That was the old way. The new way is to disseminate information through social proof in communities. And it doesn't come from me. The the more I preach it, the less effective it is. The more I demonstrate it and I'm an avatar for it and my colleagues are, are avatars for it, and then our members find out for themselves that that's right, the word spreads. And the word spreading from peer to peer is a lot stronger than the word spreading from self-appointed guru to peer. So as the more groups assume the concept and practice it, they're spreading the word. Yeah, basically we can go off Seth Gordon's tribes here. The more we can build tribes that have an avatar to say, are you one of these, the commercially minded accountant? Are you desirous to bring more out of your practice? Are you desirous to pay more to your team? Well, you get all of that by helping your clients. Okay, so there's a mutual improvement society here. Let's get to work. Um, may I share with you another of the community's comments? Please. Okay, this one's from Alan. So we're shouting out to Alan here, who's the only Alan in our group, so he'll know who that is. And he answers the question that I asked about accounting practice versus accounting business this way. Practice, he puts in uh, inverted commas, practice owners have an inflated sense of self-worth and want to distinguish themselves from the unseemly business owners they serve. Accounting business owners know that that's nonsense. Interesting. You know, now Alan's not really 
shy and sharing his views. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty uh, pretty straightforward there, wasn't it? <laughs> but, but I saw this firsthand. In November 2001, guys, here in the UK, our biggest governing body, the Institute of uh, Accountants for England and Wales, or the Institute of Chartered Accountants, I should say, for England and Wales, they relaxed their marketing guidelines in their members' handbook. So what was a very explicit, you cannot go out and tout the business? Even that phrase, tout the business. Relaxed. And it became, everyone do whatever they feel like. It's fine. Just don't misrepresent yourself. Just go for it. Okay. Right. And so the floodgates opened at that point, but accountants still weren't coming through it because they were above it. I am a professional. I don't lower myself to asking business. Who do you think I am? Because basically, no one becomes an accountant when they want a career in sales and marketing. Right. You know, you become an accountant to avoid a career in sales and marketing. <laughs> you know? well, to su- succeed as an accountant today, you have to sell your services. So everything comes back to sales and marketing at this point in time. Yes, yes sir, David. And I would probably even take that a step further and say, if you can get past selling and you can educate your clients so well that you simply allow them to buy, how do I get that? How do I have their story, that story like that? How do I see that kind of 25% growth year on year that you gave for that client? Well, if you educate them with your stories, you don't even have to sell. They'll come to you. Right. What? Well, and so that that's the interesting thing, Martin. You know, it's what we see in the, you know, all the time is this industry has operated a certain way for so long. And People are not like people don't have to go. They, I don't. I don't think, as far as I've been around for my twenty-five years, I've always heard accounts say we don't do marketing. We don't. We don't send out email campaigns. We don't do stuff because every the, the business just comes to us. I mean, here in the state, you could hang out, sign out your door that says "I do taxes," and people all line up every January, February, March, April, and and so they don't have to to worry about that, and they're. They're making money. They're profitable, but there's a lot of misery that comes with, as you alluded to earlier, with 80-hour work weeks and you know just the the drudgery of and the pain that that our pros have been feeling for years. But there's almost like a sort of frog and water kind of syndrome to that, right? How do we how do we get past that? Uh, well, that's that's the decision of the commercial minded because what you described there, Jason, I refer to as RFA, which is recurring fee apathy. So the business, as you say, walks in the door, okay, and therefore our living requirements are met. We have a pretty nice car and a pretty nice house and a pretty nice life. It's all pretty nice. And no one thinks past pretty nice. What about outrageous? What about extraordinary? What about exceptional? Oh, pretty nice. You know, so therefore two things happen. The recurring fee that comes in is outside of the control of the accountant. They just take the work offered to them. So if a great client refers a poor client, for example, they feel obliged to accept that poor client because to them, all new business is good business when it's really not. But they are killing their own profit margins by accepting that client. But they got to don't want to accept the big client, right? So that's how you start to hate their own client base is they're starting to accept work they would never have taken on had they felt like they had a choice. So uh, in that cycle of recurring fee apathy, where you're no longer in control of your growth and the new clients you are winning may or may not be the kind of clients you'd love to look after, 
that's where things go wrong because there's no time to market. There's no time to find out what marketing is or how it works because you're chasing deadlines constantly. But it never seems to occur because of that anesthetic that the recurring fee provides okay, to ever break out and do anything beyond that. So in short, accountants lack ambition. Well, I, I hate to say it. I think that's changing in the U.S. now, but the people still need help. I hope help. so. And, I, hope, the, I hope it's changing. I really hope and, it's changing. And the reason it's changing, but it's not going to change for everybody, is private equity is coming in to the super large firms and dividing them, putting the accounting side on one side and saying, hey, they're doing what you're doing. They're saying there's more money to be made in the consulting side if you're proactive and help your clients and they're spreading the word. So they're following what you are saying, but really it doesn't relate down yet. And that's where coming from the bottom up, the smaller, the medium side firms need what you are saying. They need to join those communities and see that there's an opportunity to help their clients, which in turn helps them to achieve their dreams. I think you're spot on, David. We have it here as well. We have private equity here as well. And what they're doing though, is they're going to accounting firms and they're looking at the corporate finance opportunities, not the compliance opportunities. And they're buying firms with the compliance work kind of regarded as a, all right, workarounds, get on with it, or outsourcing company, get on with it. But we're going after the corporate finance. That's where the profitability is in this firm. Look at the opportunities in this top 500 clients here. And that's where they're going. Private equity here is is building some nice consolidated models right now. But the thing is in the US is scale. There are more registered accountants in New York State than there are in the United Kingdom. Wow. Yeah. So the voice, the message of this doesn't get through. Yes, and you've been talking about it for 25 years. So have I. You know, and we're still knocking on the door. Of firms, and I know from my time in the U.S., I, I was in a, in a period in the, the mid-teens uh, of the the two thousands. I was in your great country every eight to twelve weeks, and I learned that in the state of Pennsylvania, I could be huge in Philadelphia and completely unheard of in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so if you then expand that out to get anyone in Montana to hear from you, you know you're going to be spending your life on something. So the message has to get out another way because you just can't do it. There isn't enough time in the day to do it. You have to get the message out somewhere else. So the practitioners, the cherry-picking practitioners who can think this way and go, yeah, that's right, that's what I want to achieve. I want to achieve results for my clients. I want a better life myself. Then deliver it. You hopefully harness them and say, now go preach. Because then the missionary force, as I said previously, is the peers, not the gurus. Right. Yeah, and I, you know, there's, there's big factors that I think are culminating in our profession right now that we haven't seen before that is starting to force the hand of a lot of firms. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about technology and the evolutions there, uh, we don't even need to get into it, right? We've talked about it on previous episodes and we hear about it all the time. The The way that technology has changed our lives over the last 10 to 20 years has been, I mean, just jaw-dropping and then it continues to jaw drop with you know generative ai coming out and things like that so the the, the our lives are continuing to transform and it, it, these these are tools that are making it easier for us to connect with each other on a on a national and global scale um and also to accomplish work 
so that we don't have to work as hard to get things done, which is amazing, right? And then you have this, this sort of staffing, you know, we call it the great resignation, the staffing crisis, and, and you know, it's it's across the board, but it's it's indicative of like the the brand that our profession has carried, uh, where we haven't been bothering to listen to this message of why advisory is so important, et cetera, et cetera, and continue to just keep doing that. What did you call it? The R R F RFA? <laughs> yeah, RFA, recurring fee apathy. Yeah. Yeah. Just continuing on that model because it, you know, it's good enough. Um, it's but good enough. but they're, you know, and and I guess being inspired hasn't been enough. Right. And so I, I love that we're talking about these important issues, peeling back the layers underneath about how this is about people's lives and livelihood, not just success as a general generic term. Um, but it, it it also now there's a there's like a burning platform, you know, what we say in the corporate world where you know, like these elements, you know, you you can't keep running a firm the way that we have been because you're just going to run yourself into the ground. Because you can't possibly staff for it, scale for it, grow in any way. And and you're holding back. I've heard somebody else, I think we had him on the show, is talking about squandering the opportunity of advisory services with clients, not just squandering it for yourself as a firm owner or, or a member of a firm, um, but but as a as squandering the opportunity for the client as well, because they need this stuff, whether they know it or not, they don't know where to go for it. And and you, as you've said, the accountants are the the people that are the best placed. It's not just the best place. It's the it's it's the center it's of the place. universe, right? <laughs> yeah, and and the problem that we've got with the whole evolve or die message is because is that accountants have been hearing that for forty years. You know, there's no future in compliance work. That was said about thirty or five years ago. Yes, there is. We're still here. Right. You know, and I have a book on my bookshelf that says, in this hyper-connected world of ever-changing, fast-moving technology, you've got to move with the times or pay the pay the price because now fax machines are coming in. And these fax machines are going to revolutionize everything. Don't send letters anymore. It's the fax. You're going to get left behind. No, they're not. Because the big missing piece of this puzzle is that compliance work is always required by law. And technology can only move as fast as humans adopt it. And that's why still to this day, we don't have majority cloud adoption in the US accounting profession or the UK accounting profession. The majority is still desktop, despite what the fintechs would have you believe. And, and to that end, technology comes screaming up to the door and then stops because the human's not ready yet. So right. it comes that far. So what typically happens is, is that the bigger clients of the accounting firm who are more switched on, who need more from the accounting firm, start to complain of lack of service, lack of attention, lack of cuddling, perhaps. And they do go elsewhere. And the big 40 grand client walks out the door. And what the firm typically does is replaces that with about 10 four grand clients and just puts more into the machine to keep the wheels turning, to keep the, the, the whole thing. And, and so complains more about low margin client work. And how the great clients aren't out there. Well, yeah, they are. They're just at your competition. You didn't look after them well enough. Because some firm somewhere moved with the times and are up to date and are in sync with that big client of yours and reached out and connected and educated your client about that, which made them move. But they're the exception, not the rule. The rule 
is us generally doing compliance work for some general recurring fees because, hey, it's easier than going out and winning business. Yeah. I love your points about the, the technology adoption too. It's, I mean, that's spot on. I mean, we, as a technology company, right, we see that. And and it was interesting, um, you know, we've talked about, and I've talked about how COVID, right, changed changed a lot of that. Again, another forcing hand function that accelerated a trend that was at play, you know, video conferencing and working remote and all the things that, that you know, we had, we were forced to do when, uh, when the pandemic hit. And, and it's interesting because we get, it, it brought a lot of that forward, but we're still not there despite that. Right. So this is something I refer to as the snapback. So during, during COVID, what we saw is accountants suddenly deluged with phone calls from their clients going, help, what do I do? And accountants having to watch the continual regulation being updated, updated, updated as to how we handle a pandemic. And all of a sudden, they were in contact with their clients all the time to update information, to be there for disasters. And you started getting really, really unself-aware comments like, do you know what? We've just gotten so close to our clients. We really know what they're trying to achieve, which is the same as saying, had there not have been a global unprecedented pandemic for the last 50 years, we wouldn't have known what our clients are trying to achieve because we wouldn't have got close to them. It took a pandemic to move us. And I said, are we going to get a snapback now? That as soon as the, the restrictions are released and nobody's going to wear a mask anymore and no one's going to socially distance anymore, are we going to go back to exactly where we were, least possible line of resistance, uh, event-driven, react, reaction only, no proactivity, or are we going to learn our lesson? Is this the final, finally, is this the when we turn the corner as a profession and we finally go, oh, I get it. Get in front of your clients, get close to them, find opportunities, grow the relationship. Well, I can't talk about the US because I don't know what happened in the US, but I can talk about the UK. The snapback occurred. We've gone right back to where we were. Oh, You know, I... I've seen I've seen a lot of that. You know, we we talk about and we hear about, you know, firms that are going, you know, kind of going public and saying, all right, everybody, you know, pandemic's over, back in the office. Everybody back in the office, right? That's so kind of doing before. Yeah. That's right. That's one of the like the symptoms of the snapback, right? Um, yeah. we're still we're still struggling to overcome hourly billing models, right? With yeah. even the firms of all sizes. Let's go there. No one talks value pricing anymore. Why? Because the profession can't get their head around it. Everyone's moved to subscription pricing. All your thought leaders now talk subscription pricing. Why? Because they can't sell value pricing to the profession because the profession can't get it. Why can't the profession get it? Because they ain't commercially minded. Right. Right. They are, they've invented a job for themselves, and then they've got too much work, so they've hired some people around them and just kind of grown from there or, organically. And so... That's why I said, suggested there should be a distinction made between an accounting practice and an accounting business. Because if you're an accounting practice and you're listening to this show, I have some very bad news, and I hope it's not too pessimistic, but you're kind of going to do what you're doing now until it's time to retire. You know, the history, the history of my career now shows that you don't generally change. There isn't really enough of the pain that occurs in your life. You will just, you'll coast. You'll coast till it's time to go, unless some health scare gets you. But an accounting business, and I wish I could make this happen, but I can't. It happens individually when they go, we're doing this wrong. There's a better way. There's a better way. Those people 
who awakened to how it could be, start building a commercial structure, a departmental structure, a commercial structure, start looking at the pricing, their profitability, um, you know, and, and all of these things, and worry less about the billable hour and worry far more about the value created for the client and receiving compensation, fair compensation for that. So basically, we have ourselves, I'm very hesitant to say two tribes, two clear distinctions. An accounting practitioner, technically excellent, will do a great job, probably not charge enough for it, but will not go beyond what is absolutely required. And an accounting business, who is your best friend in business, full stop. I agree. I agree. We're going to see that continue. There are a lot of firms that are making the transition now, and it's going to take probably another 30 years before it all happens. Probably. Probably. Honestly, guys, I don't think I'll be around to see it. I don't mean around life-wise. I mean career-wise. I don't think I'll see it in my time. I've already been doing this, what, 26, however many years it now is, and the progress is pretty slow. There's obviously progress we can point to, but it, again, it's exceptions. It's not rules. Right. Um, generally, the only thing that makes an accountant change, the ones who don't have that awakening that I just described, is legislative change. Legislative regulation change. Sarbanes-Oxley been a great example in there in the US back in 93. Um, you know, things like that where you have to do something because it's mandated that you have to do it now. Right. That generally gets the accounting profession moving. It's not mandated. Change doesn't generally happen. So I'm going to give you a thought here that you're making, which doesn't really relate to this, but it does. The AICPA is having a tough time filling the pipeline in the United States. I think we're getting more CPAs or chartered accounts outside of the U.S. And okay. as the pipeline is diminishing in the U.S., even though we're going to try and build it up, we're seeing more people come into the accounting profession, not as CPAs, but as accountants and they're following your tribal rule they're saying maybe we'll do some compliance but the real value is in helping our clients so the transition is coming from those younger people who are saying you're right martin we need to help our clients and our best way to run our business and get our profit line is to not worry about compliance and worry about everything else right right and, and i from your mouth to God's ear, I hope that's that's exactly how it works out. One thing I've noticed in the UK is that the audience has changed. You know, so basically the audience used to look like me uh, in that it was it was male, it was middle-aged, it was innocent, although I'm not in one today, uh, but I am when I'm on a stage. And that's what I looked out on. And after COVID, which was the, the, the dividing line, all of a sudden it's young people in hoodies, with beards and stickers on their laptop and a tattoo sleeve. And it's like, okay, okay, discernible change, actual, evidential, empirical, discernible change. Great, 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 great. But unfortunately, those kids have been trained by the previous generation. So they're still in the old ways. They look different now. They're adopting technology a lot better, certainly cloud technology a lot better now, sure. But are they empathetic, resonant? Proactive, building relationships before worrying about service delivery. No, no, not yet, not yet. We're still in service delivery. And so, so to that, like Martin, yeah, I mean, you've been talking to these people, you've been talking to thought leaders, you people who are listening to the show and hearing what you're saying, going, "Yes, I agree with everything you're saying," right? And but what 
what do I, what do I do then? How do I, how do I look like this, this accounting business that you're describing? What advice would you give to our, our listeners and, and to anybody, you know, who would ask that question? If you want to get in shape, find a gym. You go to a gym. If you want to be a successful investor, you study successful investors. And you start by actually making some effort yourself and you go, okay, Google, tell me about successful investors. You know, what do I need to know? Or you read a book on the subject or you attend a class on the subject or whatever you've got to do to obtain the knowledge that you need. If we have an accounting practice listening to this that is in agreement, and I'd love to hear from the ones who aren't in agreement as well, that's fun. But the ones who are, you know, that are in agreement say, well, where the hell do I start? So you start with a decision. You say, okay, time to build an accounting business or to put it even cuter, time to evolve onto the next stage of my development from an accounting practice to an accounting business. Right. I better find some examples of accounting businesses and find out how they did it. And if I can't find that, then I better ask Jason and David for business contacts details so I can find out where to look, or he can tell me himself, or I can ask Jason, or I can ask David. You know, but it's going to take the individual to make some effort. Okay. It ain't coming to them and say, oh, here you are on a plate, slash, slice, live and pay for. There we go. Enjoy. You know, they have to go looking. They have to earn the right. So basically, where the starting point for any individual listening who is of the same mind as we are in this conversation is to start the search and say, okay, I want to be an accounting business. Let me find an example of an accounting business to study, or let me find someone who knows them, who can show me the ropes. So, so how do they find you? That's about oh, my next question. <laughs> so people want to keep learning from you, Martin. Where do on we LinkedIn, send them? On LinkedIn is Martin Bissett, at martin at bissett.com or at martinbissett.com, whichever you prefer. And that's B-I-S-S-E-T-T. Two S's, two that's T's, folks. B-I-S-S-E-T-T. Go connect with Martin, please, everybody. Continue, learn from him. You've published, you mentioned you're an author. You published some books on this subject, Martin. Uh, you Go go read Martin's books, folks. Uh, and And... I hope that the what we talked about here today, you know, was helpful and, and resonates. Martin, what what a great what a great conversation! I thank you so much for for bringing your your thoughts to our uh, podcast and uh, and and sharing with our our listeners. Gentlemen, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2023.